right, kitties, uh, one stack pack, and we're coming at you, season five, episode twelve. And we got some stuff for you. We got some things to say. Uh, I'm David Howell, as always. Dan, Road Dan, back to home, Dan. Uh, Road Dan's here, and uh, as always, joining us, Eli Dominguez. What's up, dude? So how was life back on the road? It was awesome and weird. (laughs) It was dope. It was like a little mini reunion. There were people that normally wouldn't be at an event like that. At an event like that. So it's kind of cool. Well, that's awesome. Hopefully you keep going back back to normal work. We'll find out in two weeks. I mean, if there's a huge spike across the U.S. and we know large stadium events is probably not a good idea. Yeah, but people are going to do it anyway. Yeah, especially <laughs> the crowd that's going to go uh, see your uh, Metallicas and your Guns N' Roses and your uh, ACDCs. <laughs> um, but yeah, what's, we're going to talk about murder. What's up, guys? Uh, um, our first case today is we're going to be talking a little bit about Martin Luther King. I don't want to get too much into this because... Get your tinfoil hat out, everyone. Yeah, it's pretty conspiracy e. Um, I mean, at the end of the day of this case, I'm like, I'm sure, you know, we don't know the whole story, but was he completely innocent? Fuck no. (laughs) Um, that's my takeaway from this, but let's talk a little bit about it. Um, there's a guy named Walter Fontroy who is kind of the head of the, uh, the MLK death committee, like the investigation into the committee. And he had always kind of thought that, um, just... James Earl Ray being the only gunman was kind of far-fetched. Um, and, you know, James Earl, James Earl Ray maintained that he didn't kill King at all until I'm pretty sure until he died. He died He died as a pretty old man in jail. Did he do the whole uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, I'm a patsy excuse? Real original. So MLK arrives in Memphis and he steps out of his hotel, we all know, to go to dinner and he's shot in the face. Uh, mortally wounded, like, you know, not really much coming back from that, unfortunately. Um, and he was pretty, he was basically, he was shot across the street from like a flop house, right? Like it was like a, like a crappy CD renter room kind of like motel slash hotel slash long term, maybe. The story is that this guy, you know, sets up across in this hotel and then he, uh, you know, shoots him okay from across the street. And then he haphazardly wraps up all of the stuff in like a fucking coat or something. It looked like a comforter. Yeah, it was like a shitty comforter. So he's walking out with this bundle of evidence and he spots a cop. And uh, he thinks the cop sees him and he fucking like drops the stuff in the doorway. Yeah, but before that, they say that somebody, that there was an eyewitness that saw him as soon as he left the room and he dropped something. Um, fumbling, like you said, he, on his way out. So this eyewitness later, they find out he's not a really reliable source. He's a drunk fuck. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then the, the, the guy that's telling the story is just like, and he made it like he was trying to make some money. And it's like, well, <laughs> did he like, is, did this guy have like 50 different stories or like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Cause he wanted the reward money. So he yeah. was, it was a $300, really invested dollar reward. He was really invested in trying to, like, say that this was the guy. So, long story short, he gets – he's caught two months later. He he escapes and he's caught two months later. 
in, at Heathrow in London at the airport trying to go to Brussels. Um, he pleads guilty at that time, and they sentence him to 99 years in a Memphis prison. But then he, like, fires his lawyer, recants his whole confession, and starts, uh, you know, spewing the shit about being a hapless scapegoat, uh, taking those words directly from the episode. He was a hapless scapegoat. Um, if we go back a little bit on Mr. Earl Ray, first of all, three first names, so uh, that's a check mark against him. <laughs> I thought it was bad if it's two. I thought if it was three, it kind of canceled each other out. No, no, three first names is like David Parker Ray, James Earl Ray. John Wilkes Booth. John Wilkes Booth. Is uh, Booth a first name? Booth could be a first name. I don't know. Maybe not that I don't one. Know. All right. I, I was digging there. I was digging. Well, there's da- David. Okay. There's David Parker Ray, who was the, uh, who was the toy box killer. And then who's the guy who killed, uh, John Lennon? Uh, oh, I don't remember that guy's name. Uh, f- that story's always tripped me out too. Cause he like waited, got his signature and then like chilled at the hotel. Mark David Chapman. Okay. I don't know, but they all just sound like very similar. <laughs> He was killed by Elias Daniel Dominguez. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they all work. Yeah. Um, now you, that your name's not white enough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be some fucking white guy who's sad that he didn't get an autograph or like whatever. Like Gabe Parker Jones. Yeah, that's some a good guy one. Na- some guy named Chad. <laughs> Chad Alex. Snyder. Fart. <laughs> yeah. So he, yeah. Um, so... He like fires his lawyers, recants his confession, and um, yeah, and he like I think his whole life he said he didn't kill our MLK, and this whole segment is like, oh well, maybe they didn't investigate him being uh, a patsy. They didn't investigate that well enough. But it's pretty, you know, it's pretty thin. Um, but is it though? What was this whole thing about? Him going to Canada and trying to get papers and yeah, well, this first they talk about how he was like a petty criminal. He had only really done the, the most he'd done were robberies and uh, like small holdups, so no violence. So the people that are skeptical basically say, you know, how does this guy get out of Memphis, get to Canada, obtain three different passports, escape to and escape to Europe without any help? Yeah, it's a little far fetched. Yeah, I, I mean and. Like before the assassination, he had actually escaped from prison. Oh, oh yeah! Like just a year, just a year before he escaped from prison, he was supposed to be in prison for twenty years for robbing a grocery store, which is pretty intense. Must have been violent or something. I don't know. Um, so yeah, he flees to Montreal, and that's when he meets Raúl. Um, and I mean that's a weird name for like to meet and like. Well, I'm looking Montreal. Here. Like, I would, I would suspect you meeting like a Pierre. Yeah, in Montreal. <laughs> that's that's a, shady. Not a Raoul. Yeah. Well, it's Was spelt it? weird. It's like R A O U L, and then of course there's like Rahul, which is Rahul Raoul, which is like a more of like a you know Middle Eastern name. So it's like I feel like there's just <laughs> lots of different versions of Raoul because here it's spelt like like I was looking on the wiki and it's like R A O U L, I think something like mm-hmm. that. So yeah, Raul, not Raul, apparently is this guy that he meets in Canada, and he asks him to get him a phony passport and semen papers, so he can. Did you say semen papers? Yeah, he wanted Canadian semen papers. <laughs> he wanted he wanted to be he wants like like we all do Canadian semen. 
Mm. Oh, papers. <laughs> I, that's the best kind of semen. <laughs> it's friendly. I don't know. Okay. Um, so this <laughs> drenched in, it tastes like maple syrup. <laughs> it's got a sweet tinge. Yeah. Um, so sweet yet smoky. So he says that he meets this guy, Raul, and they do, and they do a bunch of jobs. Like they do some, they, they smuggle. <laughs> the way you say it, jobs. Yeah. It was like they smuggle contraband in and out of Canada, which seems pretty low key. Um, and David Parker Ray pretty much says that this guy, Raul, set him up for the assassination. Um, he was supposed to do, uh, like, they had done jobs across the border, like I said. And, and uh, one time he had to go to, he did a job where he delivered some stuff to Birmingham, Alabama. Um, Raul gave him two grand to buy a car in Birmingham, Alabama. And then he drove to Mexico where they did another smuggling job with that car. And then he was told to go to L.A. to just wait it out. And then come mid-March, the year of the assassination, Raul tells Ray to meet him in Atlanta. And four days before – now we're four days before the assassination. And this is when he starts to outline – Raul starts to outline the next job bullshit. Yeah. Um, Or is it? I need you to buy a gun is what he tells Raul – what he tells Ray – um, and he said that the job is basically that he's going to buy 200 guns and sell them to these people, but that, <laughs> that you need to just go buy one and do like a test run, <laughs> which is so weird. It's like, yeah, I don't know if that's true. I can see it. it's like, oh, he was, he's really dumb. He's like, oh, you're going to be the person that bought this gun. We're going to tell you it's for a thing. You're going to buy a bunch more. It, it, I mean, that does seem sound like far fetched. Yeah. But then when you look at this guy's, like, military career where, like, he barely qualified for a firearm. And the people at the gun store said that he didn't know what he was talking about. He even yeah. got the wrong gun. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's pretty plausible. He uh, – people are really dumb. And then also <laughs> at the same time, like, I don't think the Remington 760 came with, like – a, a scope standard with it, like you would have to buy it separately. No, it says he. It says he uh, got it fitted with a sight. That was part of it. Okay, so like, if you get it fitted with a sight, like you got to take it to a range and zero in that sight. Like, it, you just don't pop on a sight and magically, you know, the gun lines up with the sight. Like, you got to tune that in, which means firing it and practicing. And it okay, seems tank like, girl. All right, tank girl. We it, get it. You like guns. It just seems like a lot of work to do in like one day to kill a guy. Tank girl? <laughs> well, what do you mean a guy? It's the fucking the but godfather just, like, of the civil rights. Tank girl as a reference. That's really funny. But I just mean like how girl. bad of a shot he was. Like if you barely qualified, like the guy, the FBI agent is just like, oh, like you know, it was a hundred yards. Well, you know, to qualify, you have to hit twenty three targets out of forty at a range between eight meters and three hundred and twenty seven meters. And didn't they say he only fired once? Yeah. Uh-huh. I said Tank Girl because Dan's a 90s queen that likes guns. <laughs> America. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then that with him not knowing anything about rifles. And then him buying the wrong rifle. He had to go back the next day and return it because the guy said yeah, that that wouldn't. Yeah, the wrong one. Raul said that wasn't good. Um, Can I just say that should have tipped off the guy at, like, the gun shop? Just like. I don't think he's buying it for himself. <laughs> yeah. So the gun, the gun he ends up with is a Remington Game Master Model 760. 
And that was the one that, uh, uh, but by that time, Raul had given him the specific, like, you know, the, the specific model number, like he couldn't fuck up. He says he bought this gun and he gave it to Raul. And that was the last time he ever saw it. He had nothing else to do with it at that time. Um, he did say before the assassination though, that day he met Raul at a diner and, um, told him to rent a room at that place and await oh, yeah, further and that, instructions. Yeah. I remember that. Jesus. So he rents a room under a fake name and, um, he was also told to bring a bag to make it look like he was actually staying there. So this is his alibi for the time of the shooting though. He says just before six, which was around the shooting. He was at a service station asking if they could, like, fix his car, and they told him to come back later. And so he says during the shooting he was actually driving back, which is dumb and convenient. So he couldn't have done it. But he says, like, when he got back to the area, he saw cops and police, and, yeah, he fled. He ran because he was a fugitive. You know, it had nothing right. to do with the shooting. He didn't know about that at all. But, he, you know, they saw him run, and that's, you know, the famous story is they just – That's you know, why they say it was him. Yeah. He's like, wrong place, wrong time, man. And also, he bought the gun, and also, uh, he rented the room under a fake name, and also, somebody saw him leave, and... So, is his story <laughs> that this guy, Raul, set him up to be really in that well. spot, and then Raul was the one that shot this guy, shot MLK. From... From the a different bushes. From the bushes, because remember, um, all, some people also say there was somebody dressed in white that ran from the bushes. Actually, one of uh, MLK's bodyguards, or one of his team, was one of the people that saw that guy. Um, I mean, Raul could have just been a really smart person who was very cunning and who took advantage of this poor idiot. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> that's embarrassing. I mean, we'll I would never rather, know. That's There's... so embarrassing that I would rather say that, yeah, it was me that killed him than have to be like, yeah, I did all this dumb stuff mm-hmm. and I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, I got set up like a fucking bitch. No, I don't know. It's too convenient. <laughs> but you um, also got to take into account, like, you know, they didn't do any type of, like, powder trace tests on the gun. They're just like, well, there was an empty cartridge in it, so it must have been fired. And it's like, anyone can put an empty cartridge in a gun and, <clears throat> you know, that doesn't mean it was fired. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just feel like it was just so cut and dry. But, I mean, like I said when we first started talking about this, I'm sure – that I'm sure he was involved in it in some like you said, fashion. He's not, he's not innocent. He wasn't just like, like you said. Ooh. He's not innocent. He's yeah. he's not. Yeah, I get you. Maybe we don't know the whole story. We never will. But there's no way that fucker. Yeah, <laughs> was just like I just bought a gun and I was just smuggling and you know, like know. what was his motive? What would you know? Yeah, he could have just been some racist. The 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 investigators say that um, with the scope he had on that thing. And MLK being less than 100 yards, it would be, you know, pre- they said pretty much anybody could take that shot, you know, having dealt with the, even with just basic knowledge of a firearm. Um, what do you think about that, Dan? I don't know shit about guns. I mean, with a scope, it's not easy. I mean. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it all comes down to how accurate that scope has been zeroed in. Like, you know. And he does have military experience. So, it's like, even though he's but, bad at it, like, he knows how to, like, hold the gun and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but, you know? you know, with barely qualifying for a firearm to have, like, a scope completely dialed in to where you can just get someone in your crosshairs and pull the trigger and it be dead on the mark. Like, I would I say know. slim. I mean, it could be done, but, like... I don't know. The investigator made it seem like it'd be really easy. I guess. 
Some some of these people that think that uh, he was a patsy like to say that the suspicious bundle of everything was just too convenient and that it, you know, and that it had, it was, the gun was bought by him. And also there was no prince in the room, but that's not really weird, especially if you're going to go in there to, you know, assassinate somebody. You would probably not want to leave prints in the room. <laughs> yeah, you'd wear gloves. Yeah. Um, but then why would there be prints on the gun? But not Because he bought it and he's not that good at wiping it. Touche. He was going there for crime, you know. Wear <laughs> yeah. gloves. He's like he. It would be really suspicious if he walked into the gun store wearing gloves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, now place it in my hands, please. <laughs> I have a rare skin condition where I can't show my skin. It was like Winter Soldier. That's what he told people. Um, so it's all oh, this yeah. mysterious <laughs> Raul. It's all the mysterious Canadian Raul, and the investigators could never find him. They do mention something about a guy named J.C. Harden, who they were able to find out. They, they were able to figure out that this guy had hung out with, uh, he had like visited David Parker Ray at some like, hotel or place he was staying at um and they think that this jc harden might be the infamous raul but then they also um all the investigators are like we have no proof that this raul even exists so we got nothing so it's just a little interesting thread to that uh i mean either way it's like at the end of the day and you know martin luther king just that 60s all those all those assassinations like the 60s were Man, it's crazy. Malcolm X, MLK, Bobby, and uh, John. <clears throat> we did a whole yeah, case about times, Bobby. Man. It was intense. There was a whole Netflix documentary about Bobby Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy. Um, the next case is the Lost Loves. <sighs> this guy named Harry Young fucking ditched his kids to go to the army. And uh, this story sucks. <laughs> Went and got himself killed. The story sucks, man. It's so fucking dumb. Um, yeah, is, I don't know. Is this the? This is the guy who had two families, right? Yeah, Harry Young ditches his kids. Harry Young's a guy who died in the war, World War Two, to be exact. So years later, his son and granddaughter find his obituary, and it says uh, he was survived by Laura and a little girl. And um, they were like, "Well, Laura is my mom's name, but..." We don't have a sister. There's just two brothers. So they thought this was weird. And basically they found out that, um, yeah, the dad uh, had a different wife. Laura, the wife, refuses to give him permission to go uh, back to enlist, pretty much. Um, which is he an interesting had, thing. I didn't know that was a thing. I kind of like that, that the wife had to be like to well, sign off on it. It was because he had aged out of like the enrollment age and he had a family. So at that point they're like. You your, fuck, your, your wife is your, your, your wife has gotta, to gotta approve this shit because like if you fucking die, like she's gonna be pissed. <laughs> yeah. So she refuses. He, you know, forges the signature and lists anyway. And All the while having an affair. Yeah. Well, apparently, well, he moves out after that, so apparently it takes a while for him to actually get shipped anywhere because he moves in with the girl named Estella, and Estella. And sorry. Est- and Estella has a had to be done. And Estella has a a, a baby with him, um, and then he goes off to war, and they have like a little girl. And then 
His wife gets a knock on the door. Yeah, the real wife gets a knock on the door. October 1943. She's told Harry's dead. She's like, cool, good. (laughs) And then she had to do this thing where she had to basically prove that she was actually uh, Harry's wife because they were like, well, Laura Young has already claimed the benefits. And she's like, well, that's me. And it turns out that this lady who wasn't even married to Harry like just pretended to be Laura and said, this is my daughter and got the benefits, which is kind of dirty. Yeah. It's messed up. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, like what, what did that lady and those kids do to you? You know, I'm sure she was struggling, but fuck, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, she had a little bit of trouble proving that she was a real wife, but she was able to like find a birth certificate and stuff. It's crazy. She filed under Laura's benefits. So did we? Did they ever talk about her name, the mistress's name, Estella? No, the Estella was the girl, right? The the daughter that they had. No, well, Estella is the name of the lady uh, with the baby. The oh, then wife. what was the daughter's name? Uh, granddaughter. <laughs> yeah, no, his his daughter that he Phil had with Lil's her. Phil Lil's mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the granddaughter. Um, Kathleen Mary Young was the little girl they had. Yeah. Um, that's what I was looking for. There you go. <laughs> um, she actually, Estella actually visited the parents after, uh, well, she actually read a, she wrote a note to, um, saying who she was. And then she visited the parents with the baby and they kind of were like, you know, we, we think, we think what you did was wrong and they didn't even really want to let her inside. And she was like, I have some things that belong to Harry. Do you want them? And they, and they were like, just send them. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty messed up and you got to have some nerve to do that and then go visit his parents. Right? I don't know. But at the same time, it's kind of fucked up to just leave their granddaughter and some young lady. And they don't even tell you, I don't know. She could have been like a teenager, she could have been Stockholm syndrome, she could have been, you know, who knows. Um, but she could have been anything. Yeah. My wife and I agreed that what you did was wrong. Um, now you go. You go now. Yeah. Never so, to return. So the Lost we Loves. We don't want to stuff. The Lost <laughs> Loves is the brothers want to meet their sisters, right? And they do, and it's uneventful. Can we move on? <laughs> Anticlimactic. As and they lived happily ever after. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad for them, but yeah. Now, a brief word. From our sponsor, Topo oh, Chico well, Hard Seltzer. Well, while we do that, I'm going to go grab another one. <laughs> the sound of refreshing mineral water in malt liquor. Anyways, I'm really excited about this next segment because yeah. it's got my boy. This is a, a, a wanted case, and it's a star turn for uh, a local hero. Who would the next year go on to um, co-star in another Texas production, just like this reenactment is definitely a Texas production, uh, Dazed and Confused. That's this, right. Matthew McConaughey is sort of yeah. a guest star in this uh, reenactment. This actually started his acting career. Well, you is know this what, his first? Is this his first? Uh, this was his, his first gig. Well, yeah. Well, interesting about Matthew McConaughey is that he uh, he he was just kind of like. Uh, I think he was just a, was he a buddy? No, he wasn't theater. And, um, 
he was found by Richard Linklater, who did, you know, Days and Confused and Scanner Darkly and Boyhood, and he's great. Um, and, uh, they found out that their dad, I think their dads played college football together. Like, they found out their oh, dads, like, weird. knew each other. And, you know, they became fast friends. Um, but yeah, I think he was just, like, he was, like, a hand model and, like, a model. I don't think he started off as an actor. It's been a while. I used to know this. I kind of want to know. Who that. doesn't love Matthew McConaughey, man? He's just a good dude. All right, all right, all right. He's not really into a lot of shit. Like, other than Lincoln's. Down to earth. Wants to run for president. I'd vote for him. Yeah. Wikipedia doesn't even mention the unsolved mysteries. Says he began working in TV commercials. And in 92, he was cast as the boyfriend in Walk Away Joe, which was a music video for. Trisha Yearwood's collaboration with Don Henley. Um, Ooh. yeah. So he was, he was in a music video for, for that song the same year he was in Unsolved Mysteries is what it says here. Um, he made his on screen appearance as Guy 2, uh, in an episode of My Boyfriend's Back. <laughs> and then, of course, <laughs> Richard Linklater's Days and Confused. <laughs> he was, Apparently about Days and Confused, he was originally cast in the film as the role of Wooderson. Was, uh, he was not originally cast in the film as the role of Wooderson. Um, apparently he was not originally cast in the film. Um, and uh, his role was supposed to be really small and meant to be cast locally for budget purposes. So he, and, was, a, he, he was a film student at UT... And, um, um, yeah, he met a casting director and ended up in Days and Confused. All right, let's talk about murder. Okay. That was intense. <laughs> Shit. Okay. So, Brian, Texas, um, the, we're going to start off talking about the anonymous couple, not Sue, not Sue, and Bill, not Bill, September 6th of 1984. When I saw the reenactment, I thought that the, the guy she was kissing was her dad. I was like, ew, they kiss on the lips. <laughs> Turns out they were husband and wife. He just seemed like older. I don't know. I guess because she was dressed more casually and he was like in business attire ready for work. Yeah. And it shows them kissing outside in the front. And she's like, gives him a kiss goodbye. But yeah, they were a couple. They were definitely a couple. I just thought for some reason when I saw it, I was like, ew, is that her dad? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the husband leaves for work and the kid's watching uh, Sesame Street. And she's doing her makeup and, um, you know, finishing getting ready. And then she turns to pick up a mirror. And then there's some fucking dude. With a knife. With a huge hunting Which knife. Which is terrifying. Yeah. And apparently she immediately goes, like, you know, kind of goes crazy. She goes full mama bear. Dude, hell yeah, dude. She fucked him up. She frightens him out of the bathroom and then somehow gets a hold of a gun and, like, Chases him out with the gun and shoots at him a bunch, but yeah, doesn't actually shoot him. He drives away. Thank God he didn't come back. I'll, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Like, yeah, <laughs> that lady went bonkers. Um, he could have definitely come back. Like knowing where she lived, yeah, knowing that she had a gun, he could have come back a little bit more prepared for like well, vengeance. Yeah. That's why they don't give their names and they probably moved away. Fuck. So she said uh, she hit metal, but not him. And yeah. And so, you know, she went to the cops and looked at the mug book, which I guess is a book of mug. 
It's just a book full of like coffee mugs. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, she couldn't she couldn't uh, find this guy out of the mug book. Cut to a young Matthew McConaughey, open flannel cutoff, shirtless, every woman's wet dream. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And and some boys. This is pre McConaissance. <laughs> this is a. Uh, this is this is the this is this is Twink Conahay Twink Conahay, I don't know. Um, Handsome fella always was. Yeah, and he doesn't really have many lines in this. This is all attitude. This is he just plays uh, dying. And then four months later, okay. So this couple four months later sees um, the man's picture who attacked them in the paper, and uh, it was January eighty five, and it was the most wanted criminals. And uh, he was wanted for all these terrible things, aggravated rape and uh, indecent exposure to children. His name was Edward Harold Bell. And apparently he is at one time a Texas A&M graduate and a businessman who still had not stood trial for the, for a murder in 1978. And this is the, we'll talk about this murder and this murder is what is starring Matthew McConaughey. Uh, Pasadena, Texas, outside of Houston, August 24th, 1978. Um, Larry Dickens is a youth counselor and an ex-Marine. He's got a small kid and he's hanging out, uh, visiting his mom for the weekend. And he's, uh, he's mowing the grass. He's mowing the grass. And, and some sweet, sweet jorts. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey killing the jort look. Um, and there's some kids playing outside, you know. Just typical corner of the street sports. And then a guy stops in the pickup truck and, and the mom can see this all from her window. And can we just like give some like credit where it's due? This mom played a really good, like frantic woman. Dude, I thought the, the daughter we'll get to the to the daughter, his sister, Larry's sister. Oh my goodness. That yeah. shit got me goosebumps. Uh, I'm telling you, this is a good segment. I think this is probably the well bested segment. And the car this- chase too is really nicely uh, edited and and shot. Like, it, yeah. It, besides having Matthew McConaughey, this this <laughs> segment it, it it is a little it's a little better uh, production. Not maybe not value, but quality. Like I don't know. It's yeah. it seems like they spent more time. Like solid know. acting. I, it felt real. I mean, real tears. At the real time, tears. At the time, he was a film student, so you know maybe these. There's just like, uh, and I'm, I don't know how it, how it worked with the reenactments, but you know, obviously they did this in Texas, so it's like maybe they like outsourced, <laughs> like give these kids a shot, and <laughs> yeah, who knows? I don't know, but it was very well done. I enjoyed this segment. So the guy parks the truck. He parks the truck, and he f- and uh, he they see him like fiddling around, like messing with something. And then he gets out Winnie the Pooh style, like nude from the waist <laughs> down. Nude from the waist Thank down. Thank God they did not show that on the reenactment. Dude, those just poor blurred kids, pixels. Dude. Oh, man. And, and the kids like start screaming, and then the mom's like, oh, she calls the cops and she's explaining like really slowly like what's happening. Like, there's a man yeah, just, on the corner of Maple and Apple. Yeah. He's in a shirt. He just got out of the truck. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh Lordy, he's exposing himself to the children. Oh like no, we're gonna need a, we're gonna need an ambulance. I love how you said Winnie the Pooh style. 
there with a jar of honey. <laughs> so, so Larry, Larry comes in and he's like, he's like, oh, what the fuck? And she, he, you know, his mom explains what's going on. He runs out there, goes up to the guy's car and takes his keys. Confronts him. Which would have been a good idea yeah. if he didn't have fucking guns. Ugh. So, um, he, he. Well, if he had taken the keys and just immediately ran back to his house and shut the garage door. Yeah. But. That would have been fine. He yeah. still would have shot so, in. It w- yeah, but I mean, he, you know, it would have well, taken that's some n- time. That's not what happened. So, yeah, I know. Anyway. Sadly. I would have thrown the keys. Right. Honestly, I would have grabbed them and thrown them into the woods. Yeah, go look for that. Just go find But he wanted to funk. keep him there. I get why he wanted to keep him there. So the guy was demanding his keys back. He, he slowly put his pants back on. And then he was like, no, you're staying here. I'm not going to get your keys back. Um, cops are coming or whatever. You, can, you can't really hear what they're saying, but something like that. And then he busts out a small, like a 22, really small handgun. And, uh, yeah, the whole time, like Dan was, um, doing, she's like narrating <laughs> to the cop what's happening. And, um, he, you know, he still won't give the keys back, even though someone's got a gun at them. Like, I don't know, man. It's so cocky. And then he shoots once up in the air and then he starts shooting, uh, well, yeah, she guy. says in he the, in the Larry. reenactment, I don't, I don't know if they used the actual police 911 transcript. But in the reenactment, she says that she thinks it might be a cap gun, maybe. But then he fires, and yeah. she's like, "It's not a cap gun." Yeah, well, it's probably because it was just so small in, in that guy's hands. <laughs> Were you talking um, about the gun, <laughs> or, or his, his dick, or something else? So once he gets shot, um, the mom runs outside and meets Larry in the garage, where um, the man demands the keys, and eventually she throws him the keys. And says, please don't shoot us. You know, please don't shoot him again. And then he shoots Larry again. And mm-hmm. then, you know, he lays on the floor and the mom's like trying to comfort him and says, I'm going to go call the ambulance. And, and uh, she says the whole time she's he's still trying to. Oh, yeah. He tries to get. I forget. He tries to get up. Even being riddled with bullets, this dude is still like. Being shot four four times in the chest and once in the head with the pistol. That was just the pistol. He was still mm-hmm. going after this guy. And then when he lay in the street, the mom's like, I'll be right back. Don't move. And then the guy came back with a rifle and I guess just shot him one more time. Yeah. It's unclear. But when, you know, but while the man's walking back, the sister pulls up in her car and sees a man walking into her garage with a, with a gun. You need to be quiet. I can hear you on here. What? What the, Maddox comes in here and he says, what the hell are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching Unsolved Mysteries. Get out of here. Go away, kid. You want none of this. <laughs> what, the so what the hell are you hell watching? Are you <laughs> so the sister sees this man walk up into her garage and shoots uh, with a rifle and shoot. And then she like, the guy goes to his car and she like pulls in front of him and then, and runs out and she says she makes eye contact with him and then she runs out because she she sees it's her brother. So he so the guy backs up his truck and takes off the other way. And the cops immediately notice the truck because they're already out looking. And this is when that pretty decent uh, car chase happens. And uh it ends like on a dead end and he gets out with the truck he gets out with the rifle and like lines up a shot like he's gonna shoot this cop almost off of the fucking bike. Yeah, and thankfully the M1 jams to the point to where he can't do anything and ultimately surrenders. Mm-hmm. But typical of the white man, he was out on bail within 24 hours, even though he had just brutally murdered a fucking... No, it wasn't 24. Wait, let me see. 
He was arrested within 20 minutes of the actual murder. Uh, the sister had to identify the man. The mom couldn't. It was really hard. And the, the, the girl does a really good job. She's like screaming, I hate you at the man. Uh, so fucked up. Um, yeah. and, uh, so two months, so two months later, he's able to get out on bail. Okay. So two months. F- so fucking ridiculous. Like, so what the dumb. fuck? This guy, this guy like, just bur- brutally murdered somebody and you're just going to let him out. Showed. Just fucking flash showed children. His, showed Jesus. his dick, and <laughs> yeah, showed showed his full self to and a bunch of little showed children. His Winnie and then, the Pooh, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh style. His fucking honey pot. <laughs> showed his honey pot. <laughs> oh, dude, this guy's so fucking despicable human. So he, he disappears. His, this guy must have had some money or like a rich family because they say that he disappeared with a hundred thousand yeah, dollars in he, his pocket. He quietly liquidates his assets to amass a hundred and some odd thousand dollars and just dips to Panama. Well, Panama. We, don't, we don't know that until Unsolved Mysteries um, solves the case. But yeah, he's in Panama. So yeah, at the time he was missing, um, and uh, uh, it isn't until December- <laughs> showed his honeypot. Uh, so December second, nineteen ninety two, right after this episode aired, a caller called uh, and said, "Hey, I just did business with a man in Panama, and this man is most definitely Edward Harold Bell." Another viewer sent in a letter with a picture of him. Um, this the letter was anonymous, but yeah, they were able to uh, find out some interesting information. He was a uh, he owned land, and he was uh, sifting or what do they call it? He was a uh, mining for he was gold. Panning for panning. gold. Was he panning? They said panning. Panning, prospecting. Yeah, he was prospect. He was trying to find gold on some land he owned in Panama. Uh, he was extradited the fuck back to the U.S. Um, he has fucking stupid Ken Burns hair. He's a fucking loser. <laughs> Do you know Ken Burns is the documentarian? <laughs> no, he's like an old man with little boy hair. That's really funny. With like a little but yeah, he cut. does have little. He does have little boy hair. <laughs> you gotta look up Ken Burns. You look up Ken Burns. It's good. He's had the same hairdo for like thirty years. He makes. You boring, know what I realized? He makes bur- like boring World War II documentary. Well, boring to me. He's a great. He's great at what he does. But did they did they use the same <laughs> actor in both reenactments where he comes into the the house with the knife? Because I didn't realize that it was the same guy. If they did, he looks a little different. Yeah, the re- the guy in the reenactment lo- to me looked older and kind of fatter um, than the real guy. Yeah. Um, oh, but it's the same he does. why does he have, why does he choose to have that haircut? Ken Burns? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, that's his hair. It's like a that's mop. That's terrible. Yeah. It's fucking awful. <laughs> so fucking, yeah. Uh, Harold, what's his name? Um, fuck this loser. Um, yeah. So they, they take him back. Um, Larry's sister and mom, uh, were the chief witnesses at the trial. And, uh, well, the, in the episode, they say are going to be, but I assume they were because he got 70 years in prison. And also, interestingly, is a person of interest in the murder of six little girls in Galveston, Texas. Oh, yeah. I forgot like, about that. Which is like something I feel like I want to like do a deep delve into. Like, what the fuck? Six little girls in Galveston? 
that's just heinous to think that he might have been a child murderer. I mean, you know, the way he just shot that guy in the middle of the day in the street is pretty intense, but after exposing himself to fucking children, no, totally. Yeah. I guess it makes sense. Yeah, but this is a dangerous piece of shit. And I want to know if he's still alive. I, I want to know about this guy. Yeah, he still had that weird haircut. Edward Harold Bell. Okay, here's a story from two years ago. Doesn't give me an exact date, but Edward Harold Bell died in Texas prison on Saturday, leaving many questions about 11 unsolved murders. Um, apparently, he had claimed to commit these murders. Bell reportedly collapsed Saturday in Wallace Pack Unit of Navascota, northwest of Houston. The, in- the incident, like all in custody deaths, is being investigated. Bell was 82 years old. Though. So apparently, they found there. there's a, a wiki about the Texas killing fields. Oh, yes. And I guess two of the victims he was linked to, I guess he had a store. He had... Obviously, we know he was a known exhibitionist, but he had been arrested at least 12 times on charges of showing his genitals to children, but each time he avoided imprisonment. So it says he lived in Galveston and he owned a surf shop and two of those victims that they found by the names of Debbie Ackerman and Maria Johnson, who frequented the store, were connected to him. So that's why they think that he has something to do with with some of those uh, people that were found. Wow. That's crazy. Um, yeah. What does this thing say? Dude, this, is dude. A, this is a really short article. Should I just read it? About his death? Yeah, go ahead. Let's see. In the 70s, young girls start disappearing in and around Galveston, often in pairs. Many of their bodies would turn up in swamps, marshes, and bodies of water in places like Clear Lake and Texas City. So tiny little places. God, it's terrifying. 2017, Houston Matters brought listeners the story of the efforts to solve these cases um, by a Houston Chronicle investigative journalist named Lise Olson. Lise? I don't know. L-I-S-E. Um, and yeah, and a former homicide detective who was helping her, I guess, in his retired uh, off time, Fred Page. They thought that Bell could have been the man behind the murders. Um, among other circumstantial evidence, Bell had access to some of these areas where crimes were committed or where bodies were discovered. And witnesses saw two of the victims get into a van matching the description of one that Bell had owned before. Hmm. Um, and these victims were never – these people were never seen alive again. Most notably, Paige, the retired detective, uh, stumbled – Across a confession letter Ed Bell had written back in the 90s, it included the name of some girls who were killed and details about them. The first time I saw that letter, I basically said, he's your guy. This is our guy right here, Paige said in 2017. But investigators still apparently lack the proverbial and smoking gun evidence to connect him. Or an, or anyone else for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's what I had read too. So just to let you know, a part of that article that I'm that's on the wiki says that he confidently stated that he killed Debbie Maria, who I mentioned earlier from the the surf shop. Um, there's also a couple others, Colette Wilson and Kimberly Pitchford, as well as two other unnamed girls at the time uh, that he had abducted in Webster in August 1971. 
And they, those two were later identified as Rhonda Johnson and Sharon Shaw. But like you said, there was not enough evidence linking him to those, so they couldn't formally charge him. Oh, yeah. So it says Houston Matters producer Michael Haggerty interviewed him in prison where he was serving 70 years, like we said, um, for killing Larry Dickens. That was the main reason for him being in jail. During the interview, Bell no longer wanted to take credit for those 11 unsolved murders, or as he called them in his confession letter, the 11 who went to heaven. Oh, how fucking cute. Bell said he made it up for a specific purpose. I was going to let the state kill me, he said. I was not outwardly but inwardly suicidal at the time. So he says he just claimed that he did them all so he would get a death penalty, I guess. When the news of his death began to get out over the weekend, Olson started receiving messages from family members of the victims, many of who can, were, are still convinced that Ed Bill killed their daughters, nieces, friends, you know, whatever. Some said they were glad he could no longer be paroled. And many of them played active roles in preventing the that by testifying before the parole board. Good. Good for them. This guy is like beyond heinous. Olson said, while Bell can never be prosecuted now, she hopes this development helps move the cases forward. That either Bell left some, some more information behind in his cell or told a fellow prisoner some information or that his death will lead people to come forward with new information. People were afraid of him, she said. And there were some people who had never talked to me because they were afraid of him. They were afraid that he might get out. The murders and the efforts of Paige and Olsen were featured in a true crime documentary series called The Eleven, which aired in 2017. Oh, bury the lead. We could have all just watched that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, I want to know where that is airing. I want to watch that. Sounds really interesting. That's a good teaser for it, I guess. Um, <laughs> the Eleven, an A&E doc, six episodes. I'm down. I'm so down. I mean, it's interesting now that he might not have done it. I mean, shit, with Ed, I mean, we know about Ed Kemper. I'm, I'm sure everybody saw the confession yeah. killer. But that guy was like doo-doo brain. Like, you know, like he was he, so much, you know, mental illness mixed with drugs and just, you know... Yeah, he was a sick fuck. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like this guy was a little smarter. But still a piece of shit, and I'm glad he's fucking dead. But yeah, I didn't know about that. I have heard of the Texas Killing Fields, though, and I kind of want to look more into Yeah, it's that weird. Well. There's like a whole thing about like a bunch of different bodies that were discovered in this one area, right? Yeah, I think there's a movie, or maybe it is a doc, but I don't know. That seems there's, very familiar. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that last case. That's a, that's that about a, wrapped it up. Yeah, for today. Um, and it's so good to have Dan back. Well, thank you. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're back. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Um, we'll be back next week with some more <laughs> true crime goodness. Uh, yeah. I'm David. That's Dan. Uh, that's Eli. And uh, we've been Stack Pack. Um, for every mystery. There's someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is listening, and perhaps that someone is you, 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 you.